Okay. In three, two, one. Hey, everybody, Scott Burnside here. And the first playoff edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, Pierre Lebrun, I know drilling and hammering going on outside your door. It's the playoffs, man. This is It's the best time of the year, and your house is getting even... <laughs> Look at that. That's so, so yeah, right on schedule. Right on it's, schedule. It's like the work. It's like the workers are listening into the podcast. I do apologize, <laughs> but I think it's part of the ambiance. They are literally drilling outside my office here. So. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Well, it's it's good to know that you're focused on the playoffs in spite of the drilling. And Craig Custance joining us, and always a treat, Craig. And how are things? At, how are things in Michigan? Uh, obviously, no playoffs for the Red Wings. Uh, how are things in the Custance household as we get ready for the 2019 playoff run? Well, there's no drilling as as we speak, so that's a positive. So it's quiet. Everyone's at school. There may be a puppy uh, barking outside that wants to come in shortly, but I'll try to keep. Oh, <laughs> do you know what? We're going to talk coaches. We're going to talk playoff matchups. But I will say, Craig, if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of my favorite podcasts. I believe you tape from your. RV, which was sitting in your driveway. Do I have that? Is that, is <laughs> that right? true. I forgot about that. It was the only place I could find that was quiet. I had to go out yeah. in the driveway. I, I've done, and I'm sure you guys have too, I've done a million like radio, even like TV things from like the, the passenger side of a car, anywhere I can go to, to find that, that that is quiet for 15 minutes. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. Pierre will remember. Pierre will remember this. He, I know, he's done some radio hits in a vehicle with me during the playoffs or heading to or from the draft, uh, where I have had to uh, use my horn liberally to get other vehicles out of my way in the middle of his hit. So I always like that part of it too. If you want to have some ambiance, that's you want to ride with me and do a radio hit or a podcast. Sometimes you're going to get a, a horn beeping. Do you, do you remember that, Pierre? <laughs> I, I, all I can say to anyone listening to the podcast is if Scott Burnside ever offers you a ride, please make sure that your life insurance is up to date. That's the <laughs> only thing I'm going to say. The man is crazy. Yeah, now, I'll say this I, about Scott's driving. Like, I'm not a I'm not a horn honker, but my favorite thing ever is when Scott is in the passenger seat and reaches over and honks the horn <laughs> on behalf of whoever's driving. That's oh my, my favorite. Gosh. You know what? I will say this. You know what, Pierre? He does not like that. <laughs> he no. does not like it when I do that, and and you're right. But sometimes it's good. It's instructional, right? It's like when I'm at my son's hockey game and I'm offering constructive criticism to the officials on the ice. I'm doing the same thing to the other drivers, and even if I'm a passenger, it's it's good to share that knowledge. So that's what <laughs> that's what it is. All right, let's. We are going to talk some playoff uh, previews. Obviously, uh, so excited uh, for this uh, this set of uh, playoff matchups. I just uh, there's so many compelling storylines and so much uh, unknown ahead of us. Uh, but what one thing we do know as we are sitting here on Monday, midday, let's call it midday, on Monday after the end of the regular season, we know that the Florida Panthers have won the Joel Quenville jackpot or sweepstakes, can we call it that? And, mm-hmm. uh, and Coach Q, the number two all-time winningest coach in NHL history, three-time Stanley Cup champion, surefire hall of famer whenever he decides to hang it up is now taking over the florida panthers coaching job reuniting with uh, former chicago gm dale talon uh pierre let's start with you i know you've been all over this following it so closely lots of teams uh had expressed interest either quietly or not so quietly in having joel come aboard are you at all surprised that this is where he ends up that uh, that that he 
is back with Dale and trying to resurrect a Florida team that really has, you know, to me, they're the, the epitome of underachievement. Well, first of all, I'm not surprised by you asking me if I'm surprised. But <laughs> I know. I like um, to ask that. You, but, sometimes uh, you should sell, tell me you're wildly surprised, <laughs> even if you're not. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of us were speculating the last few weeks that should anything happen with Bob Bugner, that obviously Dale Talon and uh, Joel Quenville go back. I guess the only thing I wasn't sure of is whether the Florida Panthers are in a position to pay Joel Quenville, and that's why I, I worked hard to try to get to the bottom of that contract today. And boy, we're talking in the neighborhood of $30 million for Joel Quenville over five years in South Florida. That's a major statement uh, by Vinny Viola and that ownership group about what they're trying to do here once and for all with that franchise. And, you know, I think the base salary is under $6 million, but it uh, could end up being north of $6 million a year, depending on some bonuses. So we're talking $30 million, north of $30 million for Joel Quenville, which is about the kind of money he was making in Chicago. So that's number one. That's that's really important to point out uh, because this is just a start, right? I mean, this is the Panthers team uh, that wants to make a lot of noise here in the offseason. Uh, it just so happens now that they hired the coach that our attorney Panarin loved playing for in Chicago. Uh, but there'll be other moves too. And I think what this is about is I think this is Vinny Viola saying, before I figure out whether this thing's ever going to work, I need to know how fans would respond to a winning team that creates buzz. That's the franchise only made the playoffs five times in their history. So, you know, make the team better, create some buzz and then see how the market reacts. And then you have, then you can gauge whether or not you still want to own this thing long-term. All right. Well, Craig, I mean, I don't think there's any question that uh, when you bring in a coach like Joel Quenville, it, it, it should help change the culture there. It it should, whether it's Artemi Panarin and or Sergei Bobrovsky or whoever else Dale Talon and his team, his management team are going to go after in terms of free agency and whatever they might try and do trade-wise. Um, having Joel in place is is a critical part of that, I would think, unless you disagree. But there's also the issue, though, of like this, it, this team – has been an underachiever now for two or three years. They've gone through some ups and downs. Ownership has meddled. Uh, there was the Gerard Gallant fiasco, all those things. Is Joel the kind of guy, the kind of coach who can change things in the short term? Or or is, is this go way deeper than what Joel Quenville might be able to accomplish in the short term? No, I, I, I think it's a perfect situation for him. And it's, uh, you know, you probably can make a lot of parallels between the Florida Panthers now and the Chicago Blackhawks when he took over in Chicago. I mean, you have your you have your franchise centerman in Barkov, so that's Taves. And you've got, you've got you know, looking at the roster, Jonathan Huberdeau is not Patrick Kane, but, you know, good, good young players up front. Um, Aaron Eckblad, Keith Yandel, I guess we could say are Seabrook and Keith in this scenario. And I, like... It all lines up there, and and it, you know, I was curious. You, I was wondering where Joel Quinn was was going to end up, and I I was thinking it was going to be the Philadelphia Flyers, partly because they could afford him, right? Like that's that's. Right. I, I had the same question that Pierre had was, you know, yes, I like the Florida roster. I think it sets up nicely, but are, are they going to pay him six million a year? I thought Philadelphia would absolutely do that, and probably would have. Um, but so now that question, salary question aside, I, you know, this is, this is a great setup for them. And, and this is even before they make their big off season splash, which as Pierre mentioned, we're all anticipating them making. So, um, it, it has the potential to, to line up nicely. And if this doesn't work, if, 
you know, let's say they signed Bobrovsky or they signed Panarin, they've got Quenville, and they still don't make the playoffs, then, you know, there's problems that are probably way deeper than we, we know of. But it's, you know, it's it's lining up really nicely for Florida. All right. I, I, will, I will just say that, uh, in, and I don't mean to be critical, but it, it is, in my mind, a slight stretch to go from Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook to <laughs> Keith Yandel and Aaron Eckblad. I, I will just right, say. All right. I I'm just, saying I think, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. How, how long was all that? Yeah. All right. Fair uh, Pierre, okay, one more on uh, on Florida. Do you, when you talk about, you know, the Panthers have made it clear for weeks now that they hope to be big players this summer. Uh, is there any danger in basically announcing your intentions so far in advance and sort of promising that you're going to deliver some big moves, presumably early on July first once the free agency period opens is there danger do you think in in setting those expectations so high so early like what if you can't what if you can't deliver or are you yeah. just confident that it that it will happen because things are maybe already slowly falling into place behind the scenes there is a danger in it and that's why when you're a more secure market like an original six market or, or, or some of the really strong franchises you rarely do that you don't see that, right? I mean, if anything, when teams like Montreal and Toronto were at their bottom, they undersold publicly because they know they're sold out next year no matter what they do. So why would you tell people you're going to do a lot of great things? So so you always want to actually manage expectations the other way in those big markets. But in a place like Florida, where, again, they were terrible attendance this year, they need to create a buzz. So I think the messaging is important that they have to to hammer home their intentions, even if it, you know, it, it gives a bit of their playbook away to other teams, because this is about reaching a fan base. This is about selling season tickets, about creating a buzz, about telling people in that market, pay attention to us. So I, I think you have no choice if you're Florida. I think that's why they've been so aggressive in, in trying to uh, sell this narrative. So again, I, I think if this was, uh, you know, like, for example, I, I felt like Chuck Fletcher's news conference earlier today with the Flyers offseason was more understated. I mean, there's a very good chance Chuck Fletcher is going to be just as aggressive as Dale Talon, but he doesn't need to go out there and sell that in Philly. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's OK to keep your cards to your vest in a place in Philly where, you know, you're sold out next year. Um, but but why, you know, why promise headlines that you may or may not be able to deliver on? Because. You know, intentions are one thing, but uh, but especially when it comes to trades, you know, finding that right match is, is sometimes difficult. Yeah. Um, all right. Just before we leave the coaching, uh, Craig, there's we talked about Philadelphia. Um, we know that uh, Buffalo is moving on from Phil Housley. Ken Hitchcock will not be coaching in Edmonton next year. Willie Desjardins is gone in L.A. and the Kings already <clears throat> apparently, as Pierre has reported, uh, taking a look at Todd McClellan. When you look at the coaching landscape now that Joel is in Florida and ensconced there, I saw they had uh, Panarin food. I, I saw that picture of that on Twitter. So uh, Breadman, Panarin, Joel Quenville, anyway, just saying that that's what they had for snacks in Florida today. What's What coaching position are you most curious about mm -hmm. Now, as we move forward, what's what's what are you what are you curious about as we yeah. move forward in well, the coaching carousel? 
I, there's some interesting jobs, and and it, it was it was interesting to see Joel Quenville fall as fast as he did because he probably would have had his his choice of any of them. And and before I, if I'm a coach and I'm sitting here and I'm saying, okay, I'm Todd McClellan, and and I can I can shop around a little bit. Um, I would, you know, this this wouldn't be Todd McClellan, but you don't really want to judge Edmonton until you know who the GM is. And Bob Nicholson mm-hmm. came out and said today, you know, there's there continue to be very deliberate um, with this and with this the search. And again, and I, you know, I'm sure Pierre feels the same. You you wonder how much of that deliberation has to do with a guy like Kelly McCrimmon not being available until right. after Vegas is done. Um, but. So yeah, so if you're a coach, you you don't know really what's going on in Edmonton. The the job to me, you know, the Kings are a rebuild. Um, I, like I, I probably that one is I I wouldn't want to jump at that right now based on what I saw this year. The job I'd be most interested in would be the Buffalo Sabers, um, because I think all the big pieces are there. I think you have a GM and Jason Botterill who, yeah, he took his licks this year, but I still think he's one of those game smart young executives. You have an ownership that's going to spend, and you have great pieces in the key positions with franchise centermen and defensemen. And so basically that's just a group that has to figure it out and figure out how to win. And and um, like I, I think if, like if I was Joel Quenville, just based on talent, I might have leaned in that direction um, because, yeah, to, to your point, I mean, there's there's probably bigger high end talent in Buffalo with with Delaney and, and Jack Eichel. So I love that job. That would be if I was handpicking, the Sabers would be my my pick. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think I think Philly's a pretty sexy gig too. And, yeah, that's not a bad. Um, and and part of it is again, who's the boss? Chuck Fletcher is, is an amazing guy and, and would be great to work for, same as Jason Botterill in Buffalo. That's why the LA thing is interesting. I mean, you know, all all I'm reporting is that I know that that he Tom McClellan is Rob Blake's number one target. What I don't know, and it's why I haven't reported, is is I'm not I don't know how Tom McClellan views all this. I mean, he would have a great relationship with Blake going back to when he coached Blake in San Jose near the end of Blake's career. And that's literally why Blake has interest in Tom McClellan because he really was impressed by McClellan when he played for him. But if you're Tom McClellan to Craig's point, are you in a rush? Like, uh, you know, like, I mean, maybe you want to hear from Philadelphia or Buffalo, um, you know? So, so that that's a really good point. You know, I mean, um, making sure that uh, that you look at all your options. Um, I'd be curious. Do you think that uh, so? Lane Vigno is is another guy, a guy that's been really under red. the radar, right? Like he's mm-hmm. and and I'd be curious to see if if I mean, yeah, I think he has enough of a track record that no one's concerned about it. But you know, this people I'd be curious to see how much people are watching the worlds and seeing how it goes there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or or even perhaps going out there to talk to him. I remember that one year when Todd McClellan was coaching. Right. Um, you know, Mike, but you had the Mike Babcock situation. And the Worlds became this, like, de facto coach interview hotspot where you had GMs coming and going. And, and I think it'll be interesting to see if that goes on this year at the Worlds with Elaine Vigneault coaching Canada. Well, I think it's, I mean, really, we've heard nothing from Vigneault since he left the Rangers a year ago. But now being behind the bench for Canada, the men's Worlds will be, that's a really smart move on his part. I mean, that just brings you back into the profile. Now, I don't know how good a team they're going to have. I mean, they're not going to have Connor McDavid. I don't think they're going to have Cole Giroux. I think there's a bunch of veterans. So I don't know. That might be a very young team. Uh, I think Carter Hart is going and goal. So we'll see what he has to work with. But 
you know, I mean, he's a big brand name that's still out there. And Dave Tippett's an interesting guy. Like, I think Dave Tippett's mm. really happy in his gig in Seattle. I wrote this last week in one of my notebooks. But I also have been told by other league sources that he's got the coaching itch again. So maybe that's one of those things where Dave Tippett's not really going out there looking for anything. But if someone phoned with a heck of an offer, maybe he comes back. So that's another big brand name to, to consider. Yeah, <clears throat> I talked to Dave Tippett for a piece on <clears throat> playoff coaching that uh, that will run this week, and uh, he said the exact same thing. I said, "Well, you you know, when we're talking about playoff experiences and things like that, does it give you the itch?" And he said, "That's why you never say never because there, there is no time like the playoffs." So, yeah, no, I, and then he's you know he's he's a smart guy. He's in a great position with the Seattle team, but. You're right. He's a coach. That's sort of who he is. So it'll be interesting to see if if, if anything comes of that, because it, it certainly changes the dynamics if he is if he edges back into the marketplace. So, um, all right, let's let's transition. We are going to talk playoff matchups. Craig, I'm going to give you this is a lo- this is a lot of responsibility for you, but I'm going to give oh, wow. you the chance. We'll start east or west, and I want you to tell me in whichever conference you choose. What's what? What series are you most interested in? What's the what's the most compelling series in the conference that you're going to tell us? All right, my series, and I think partly it's because I've hitched my wagon to one of these teams in my prediction because I didn't want to pick the Tampa Bay Lightning because I assumed everybody else would, and as it turns out, they're not because I think they had the same mentality I did. But that Vegas San Jose Sharks series is that's going to be the one I'm most interested in because. A, because I picked the Sharks to win it, maybe more of a heart pick than a brain pick. But um, just, the, you know, the idea of Joe Thornton lifting the Stanley Cup and that team rallying for him uh, <clears throat> is, is it's just a cool, you know, especially after Alex Ovechkin getting it this year. I think Joe Thornton moves to the top of the list of Hall, future Hall of Famers that you'd love to see get that opportunity. And I just think that's. We're going to learn so much about the Sharks in this series because you have a fast Vegas team that you can make a Stanley Cup case with as well. And um, it, a really tough draw for, for the Sharks. And so that I, I'm going to be fascinated by watching that series. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah, I mean, that's a series that could be the Western Conference final uh, in terms of the talent on the ice. Um, I, I this will shock everyone given my long uh, <laughs> my long fascination with San Jose, but I, I picked Vegas, although Vegas in, in in a tough six. And I the one thing I can't get my mind wrapped around is is Martin Jones. It yeah. really concerns me. Uh, Eight ninety six, and he's had all year to give us glimpses that it's back on, and I I don't know. And and you know a healthy flurry is boy that matchup goes one way, but. This is a this is a really deep San Jose team. I was reading Kevin Kurz's uh, playoff preview and you know reminded that you know here here's a team with four 30 goal scores, second in the league in offense. Like the Joe Thornton centering a third line that Pete DeBoer calls his best line over the last two months, and that's the third line. So there's lots to like. I mean, there's no question. But I I tell you, the Mark Stone trade just to me turned the Western Conference on its head in my mind. Like I just feel like. Uh, such a superstar addition for Vegas, and he's fitting well. They got their top two lines really rock, um, and I think, quite frankly, they're they're a deeper team this year, Vegas is, than the one that went to the Cup final. Mm. So yeah, um, well, I uh, well, know, I, I, and I can be talked to either San Jose or Vegas winning, 
But I wonder if I wonder if that's not a series where the winner does go to the Cup final. I mean, that's how much might be at stake right up right out of the hop here in that series. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, and I was talking to Brett Hedekin earlier this week, and a couple of scouts in the Western Conference, and for me, the, the whole Eric Carlson thing is so. Mm-hmm. critical to you know you're right martin jones and martin jones just has to be better right i mean he could hardly be worse than he was during the regular season uh gave up a league leading number of goals in the first five minutes of periods not counting overtime so that's you know that's a problem that has to be corrected but for me if if eric carlson can't go at 100 percent and he's been fighting this groin injury for weeks now it just changes how <clears throat> it changes how they attack it changes how Pete DeBoer has to um, <clears throat> configure his defense it just changes everything if he's not the way we saw him during the stretch in the middle of the season when he finally looked like Eric Carlson so that's the that's the issue for me in that series and I, I'm, I'm with you Pierre you know the, the Stone, Pacioretty, Paul Stastny all newcomers from a year ago holy cow that's a pretty good line. So um, let's all right, let's move on to the series that might be the closest, at least in my mind, Craig. That whole St. Louis Winnipeg mm-hmm. series. I mean, a year ago, St. Louis loses game eighty-two. They don't even make it to the tournament. Uh, they fire Mike Yo this year. Look like they're they're cooked. And Jordan Bennington and Craig Berube revive them. Uh, they're within, or oh, they finished tied in points, I believe. And so the tiebreaker went to Winnipeg. So they have home ice advantage, but that Jets team is, they're at a much different place than they were a year ago when we were, you know, sort of had labeled them juggernaut or, you know, co-juggernaut with Nashville. What do you make of that series? And, and is there a, is there a team that you see that, that has an edge and maybe has the potential to, to make their way to a Western conference final? Yeah, when I saw that, when we were doing our picks, I saw that matchup, and I remember saying on this podcast how I wasn't even worried about the Blues getting out of the first round. Like, I was like, yeah, don't sleep on the Blues. And I was like, oh, I'm not worried about that team. And then you look at this matchup, and, and when you sit there and go, okay, which of these teams, you know, like it's it's a coin toss. You look at how they've been playing. They, these two teams have played down the stretch. Like Winnipeg, it's, it's just gone off the rails for them for whatever reason. And I think, you know, getting Bufflin back certainly helps. Um, but you know, you want to go into the playoffs playing with confidence. I have to imagine in, in that department, St. Louis is, is just cruising and, and I would rather have a goalie with maybe some playoff experience that, that has a track record if, if you're making picks. But I, I think I picked St. Louis in that series and, and, uh, you know, it's, if you're looking for maybe an upset or whatever, based on preseason expectations, yeah, you're right. The jets and the predators have, were kind of the, the class of the West and, and now you look and you can't feel great picking Winnipeg to come out of that series. Yeah, it's it's a total toss-up for me, too. I ended up picking the Jets, but um, I just didn't have the courage. But, uh, you know, I, there's, something's happened with that Jets team. And yeah. yeah. I want to be careful what I speculate because I don't really know. But I will tell you what I do know is when the Jets go out and trade for Matt Hendricks, when you know that it's not because they actually plan to play him, it just mm. gives me the impression that that not all is well in terms of every player in that room being on the same page. So that's that's my opinion. Not uh, doesn't mean that it's necessarily true, but I, I do worry. And you know, from my piece coming out tomorrow, I don't mind sharing some of it. Now, I I spoke to three different NHL head coaches for my West previews, and two out of the three picked St. Louis over Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, I, I think the Jets play has really alarmed a lot of people around the league that, that love that team going into this year. I, I still took them in seven. 
And you already touched on it, Craig. And I love the story. I've actually talked to the kid over the phone this year and did a little stir on him, but I love Jordan Bennington. But I will say that that does give me a bit of pause that you're a rookie goalie who was sensational, but is still a rookie goalie entering your first playoff series. So that gave yeah. me a bit of pause. And that, you know, Jets in seven, what I'm really saying is I think it's a toss-up, and I really think it is a toss-up. Yeah. It's funny you should mention uh, Matt Hendricks going back to Winnipeg <clears throat> a year ago. It was Mike Fisher in Nashville. And, you know, maybe a similar kind of, okay, how, you know, how do we make sure we have the right message and the right tone in the dressing room, whatever it is. And, of course, it didn't, you know, it didn't, didn't help the Predators who, who lost to Winnipeg in game seven of the second round. But uh, I'm curious what you guys think of Nashville, another team that has very similar to Winnipeg, right? They you know neither Winnipeg uh, nor Nashville played particularly well in the second half. They didn't really separate themselves and allowed St. Louis to get right back in it. Uh, Predators end up winning the division and they play a Dallas team. And I talked to a number of scouts who and analysts who were really bullish on the stars, really liked the stars possibilities of upending Nashville and, and being a real handful uh, come playoff time. And uh, Craig, I don't, do you, do you see that? Are you, is the bloom off the rose for Nashville or is, is Nashville a little bit like Washington, right? A year ago, everyone was sort of dismissive of the caps, obviously. Um, and they found a way to obviously to, to, to rise above that and to, and to win a cup. Where do you see does Nashville a little bit like that? Or is Nashville like, well, maybe, maybe the window is already closed on them. No, I like, I, I don't see, I don't make that. Comp- like, I think what happened with Washington is, is, you know, there'd been a decade of them, you know, underachieving. And finally everyone was like, okay, uncle, we're, we're done picking the capitals. Something's off there. And I like, I don't think Nashville is at that point yet where there's just a good team in a, in a West that's pretty wide open. It was funny, Pierre, when you were talking about Winnipeg and, and then before that Mark Stone, not to go back to that series, but just uh, in how that shifted the whole West, I'm just imagining how different Winnipeg might've looked if, if they had actually been able to oh. pull that trade off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. Oh yeah. But anyways, but, and, and again, going back to the deadline, Another thing that I, I, I was maybe misguided on, I thought the Grandland deal was going to be this just, uh, you know, huge blockbuster for Nashville and address a power play. Like, he's so good on the power play. And that, like, it just hasn't taken off like I imagined it would in, in Nashville with Grandland. Um, but getting back to your question, Scott, I think Dallas, I think, the, you know, kind of the, the equalizer there is Ben Bishop. And you know, has this great season for the stars. It, the stars seem to be a, a team that at some point bought into, okay, we're going to, we're going to tighten up defensively. We're going to be opportunistic offensively, and we're going to let our goalie make these big saves as Ben Bishop has. And the the big question, when you talk to people about Ben Bishop is, you know, there's always this concern he's going to get hurt or, you know, in, in kind of this big moment won't, won't play like he did, you know, during the regular season. And I, there is a bit of the shadow of, of doubt in, around Ben Bishop, who we all love. Like, great guy, had a great season. But I still think, and I know, and talking to people kind of leading into the doing some of these previews, um, there's there's concerns of whether or not he's the kind of goalie that's going to rise in the biggest moments. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, and maybe it's just because I don't watch the Stars as much as I should and compared to other Western teams that I love watching. But I, I must say that, and I'm I'm happy for for Jim Neal that that team has made it, and I mean you know the, the had the Jim Lights rant at midseason and lots to talk about there. But I, I have to be honest, that's my job. I, I I think 
I think they're the least impressive of the 16 teams that made the playoffs. I'll be quite honest. Mm. And, and what they have going for them is, is twofold. You mentioned how stingy they are. I mean, the, the Jim Montgomery's done a great job with their team defensive game. Reminds me of the way that Barry Trotz has sold the Islanders on the only, only way they can play. But, um, and the other thing that's going to help them is that the Predators have been all over the place. But at the end of the day, I, that would be, of all the upsets that I think are possible, that would be the one that would surprise me the most of any series in the first round. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing, though, when you think of the Stars, number one in goals allowed in the Western Conference, number two overall in the league. And you're right, Bishop, you know, Med Bishop is probably, you know, he, he has Vezina-worthy numbers, but he's injury issues. Um, really, Anton Kudobin was instrumental in that team doing what it's done mm-hmm. because you know Bishop was out, and you know they're very top-heavy offensively. Jamie Ben, I think his point production is off. Well, it's off considerably. Well, like to say thirty points, give or take, from a year ago. So you know um, they bought in defensively, but they're still boy. It's they just don't have that. Even with Matt Zuccarello back in the lineup now. Um, I, I don't know, see how they keep up with Nashville offensively, but it's going to be fascinating. I was just surprised that so many people I talked to were like, you know what? I really like the stars and I think they could do some damage. So, all right, <laughs> let one more series in the West and I, and then we'll take a break, but, and I, I don't know why I feel this way. This Pierre talked about the stars, maybe the least impressive, the Calgary, Colorado series is the one I'm always like, oh yeah, there's that one. And I have no idea why I feel that way. <laughs> the leftover series. Uh, well, it was the Calgary's the top team in the Western Conference. They have done a, an incredible job. I assume Bill Peters will probably be on the final ballot for Jack Adams. They're a dynamic team. Uh, Colorado really got it together down the stretch. Philip Grubauer was terrific, and they finally got some depth scoring. I mean, this series could be fascinating, but I don't know why I have to, to sort of uh, this feeling of, oh, yeah, there is that series. Um, Pierre, let's start with you. Is like the Flames should win this series in a walk, but my sense is, in, in certainly the people that you talk to are like, well, hang on, let's let's not be so hasty with this Colorado team. Yeah. So the three head coaches I, I spoke to for that piece is uh, uh, two did have Calgary. They just thought Calgary's offensive death would just smother Colorado. But the third coach I talked to is predicting a Colorado upset. I mean, and that would be. That would be a legitimate upset. I mean, that would in, the, be, old, in yeah. the old system, this would be one against eight, right? And uh, um, and, and part of his reasoning is, and and, and uh, again, I don't mind the piece runs tomorrow, but I'll share this quote. I quote him saying, it, had my team made the playoffs, we wanted to play Calgary because of their goaltending. That's, that's the quote. Yeah. And so, I, again, the other two coaches I interviewed did not feel the same way. They, they, they just think the Flames are so talented up front that that – Colorado is going to be chasing the whole series, but I mean, listen, the Calgary goaltending is, is, I mean, I can't remember. I think we talked about this last week on the podcast, Scotty. I kind of, you didn't quite have an answer for me because I put you on the spot, but I can ask Craig, like when's the last time a team, you know, won a conference as handily as Calgary has won the West. And there's still people debating which goalie should be in that. <laughs> right. No, no I mean, I, I mean, honestly, right. it's, yes. And I came up with St. Louis, St. Louis and Roman Turek back in the day when Chris Pronger was an MVP. But it is an interesting phenomenon. And at the end of the day, maybe the goaltending is not an issue. But it's certainly, you know, it's a conversation. Yeah, that's I, I'm with you. Like, I, I 
I still think even with the questions with their goaltending, I, I, that Calgary team is is so deep. Um, you know, we're just we're working on our ballots, and you know, Giordano is going to be number one on my Norris ballot, and, mm-hmm. and Me too. I just yeah, like I, I I love that Calgary team, and and you know they they've done it all year with with that goalie situation. So I still think they find a way against Colorado. Now you know. When Colorado gets Jack Hughes, it's it's a different story next year. But. <laughs> oh my goodness! This year I like Calgary. Yeah, they, uh, you know how about Colorado? One of the great young teams in the league already. They make the playoffs again, which is a huge achievement. And they uh, they're going to add Kale McCarr to the fold, and who knows how the yeah. lottery goes? Oh, oh my goodness! Wow! Yeah. They're, like they're going to be they're going to be a power for the next ten years, Colorado. Like just a complete aside. But, with with the two high end, like they're adding two players that you could basically start a rebuild around if if they hit the number one pick, mm-hmm. and they've already yeah. and they're already a playoff team. Like that's and, a, the, fun, and the funny thing is, I remember the, the, speaking of lotteries, I, I happened to uh, walk into the same establishment uh, that Joe Sakic was in the night of the lottery a few years ago when the Avalanche quote unquote lost the lottery. They ended up moving as, as much down as you can with the worst possible record in the league. If you remember, that was their terrible year. Yeah. And, and so they ended up with the fourth overall pick when the odds are they were going to get the first overall pick. Well, who do they pick at four in their so-called lost lottery? Kale McCarr. Mm. So uh, it's funny how, yeah, it's funny how things uh, work out. That was the Heesher Patrick uh, draft, or maybe we should refer to it as the Elias Pedersen draft, but yeah, really he went fifth, but I, but tell you what, Kale McCarr at four, Man, it sounds to me, and, and watched a bit of it there during the, the NCAA playoffs. But man, he's a he's he's going to be a, a complete uh, difference maker for Colorado. No question. All right, let's take a break. Don't go anywhere though, because when we come back, we are going to talk Eastern Conference, and at some point, Pierre and I hope to chat with John Cooper. So don't go away. We'll be right back with the second segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. All right. In three, two, one. All right. I let Craig start the West, Pierre. So I'll let you start with the East. Where's the series? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I can guess what you're going to say, but I, I don't like to presume when it comes to you. So you tell me. Eastern Conference matchup that is number one on your list for drama or what is ahead for us as hockey fans well it, obviously it has to be boston toronto i think you know with the, those two media markets and fan bases and two consecutive years going at it there'll be all kinds of drama for sure um you know i'm off to tampa myself and, and the reason i want to bring that up is i was pretty shocked at what the two coaches i interviewed for my eastern piece and that piece is online right now they both have columbus scaring the heck out of tampa mm. And I was like jarred by their commentary. And I don't know if everyone's trying to talk to talk themselves into reasons why Tampa won't win because it's 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 sort of the the popular thing to do to not pick Tampa. I pick Tampa to win the cup. I don't care. Um, but but they both think that Columbus is a heavy 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 team that a shouldn't even be a walkout team that should have contended for the Metro anyway and end up as the eighth seed and and you know they both fell short of going for the the big time upset but they see a long series coming uh for tampa mm. okay. 
That would well, be. So, you, I mean, yeah. I, I guess you have to factor in the different rules, right? Like the reality is, it's it's a different different game in the playoffs, and mm-hmm. and you know when you talk to people with Washington, they felt like they were able to use their size against Tampa last year, and and you know you had Tom Wilson running around making an impact. And to your point, this is this is a pretty big Columbus team. So if if it's not a great matchup for draw for for Tampa, but <laughs> Tampa was so much better than everybody oh, else. Yeah. I even like even with a bad like, I, I feel more bad for Columbus than I do for Tampa because I think Columbus could have been a, a you know a dark horse or whatever in the playoffs and they're, for they're sure. just gonna run into a juggernaut. So I I don't know. I, I I can see where you could logically talk yourself into it, but man, I it's Tampa has no weakness. They've you know if you play physical against them and you send them on the power play, they're gonna score on you. Uh, they they have the best PK in the league. They have the best goalie in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, John Cooper, who you guys are talking to, is is you know one of the three best coaches in the league. I just think we're and and I, and I didn't pick them basically because I was just trying to be different. And we're, we're all looking for reasons to talk ourselves into the Lightning not winning. But right. really, like, what's not to like there? No, yeah. I, and, and, and you know what? I mean, obviously, I think the Lightning is going to be Columbus, but. Um, the one thing that, uh, that I will point out is that Tampa scored a lot of power play goals this year, by the way, they also had one of the best penalty killing units, but the power play tends to, to disappear come playoff time in terms of a major impact for winning and losing. I mean, it tends just not to be as big a weapon. So that is something to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, and the good news for Tampa was just before we take this, Victor Hedman looks like he's going to be ready to go for game one. So more good news for an already stacked team. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I'm here. I understand why people look at Columbus and go, well, you know what? I mean, if it, it clearly comes down to what Sergei Bobrovsky brings to the table, right? Historically, his playoff numbers are junk. Uh, in spite of the fact he doesn't think he's played poorly in the playoffs, he really has. And uh, But if he plays like he's played since February, basically, he is... I talked to Jody Shelley and I had a uh, conversation because we were talking about Vrosky and we were talking about all that's happened with him and Columbus. And the key for this Columbus team is going to be those first two games in Tampa and whether you can plant a seed of doubt. Mm. Because what you know, the worst thing for Tampa now is the waiting, right? They're like, okay, you know, they, they have done all that's been asked of them and more everyone's picking them. They're heavy favorites. It's this sort of waiting now. And if early in that series, if Bobrovsky plays like he has, and somehow, you know, the Columbus gets a split, is there an element of doubt that creeps into it? And that's, you know, to me, that's the only way it has, you know, can work for Columbus, but it's, it all rests with Bobrovsky and, and we'll see. I mean, he just, he's, he hasn't been able to answer the bell in the playoffs before. And maybe this is the year, right? Where he's got, Nothing to play for. A lot of stuff has happened, and maybe this is it. Maybe well, this let me is ask it. you. Can I ask you guys a question? If Sergey Bobrovsky, if they get swept and he posts an you know eight ninety in the playoffs, are you still giving him seven times eight if you're the Florida Panthers and you're trying to win a Stanley Cup or whatever you're trying to do down there? That's a good question. I mean, you probably still have to because you need help at goaltender if you're Florida. Yeah, they didn't get any saves this year. Um, the funny thing is, I was going to go the other way with Bobrovsky, Craig, and maybe I'm in a happier mood than you today. But I was, <laughs> but, but I was thinking, I was thinking, imagine Bobrovsky, you know, is unbelievable, and you know whether or not he leads this team to an upset, but but has a great first round. 
the irony to me is as he exits Columbus is that really my understanding is the genesis of his exit from Columbus is that he felt he took it personally that, and, and, and this is his perception of events and, and things said, but I, I think he felt torts threw him under the bus after the playoffs last year mm-hmm. publicly. And I think that's where all this started to go South in terms of his relationship with, with the organization. I, so I'm just saying the irony would be as he walks out the door as a free agent, if he does end up having a great playoff, finally, <laughs> well, all right, let's, let's talk, let's talk Boston, Toronto and, uh, Pierre, like I, I, to me, <laughs> everyone has just like everyone's abandoned the Leafs. Not everyone, but there seems to be this great groundswell of support for Boston. I talked to, well, I was talking to to Keith Jones for a couple of things I was working on, and he thinks the only team that can stop Tampa is Boston. And he wasn't being dismissive of Toronto, but mm-hmm. he just he thinks that Boston is. They're better than Toronto, and, and they will give Tampa a real run, you know, in a presumed second round. Um, I, I'm not sure that Toronto's not in a good spot opening as underdogs on the road, right? That's a good Toronto team. That's the best Toronto team maybe since they won a cup in 67, right? I mean, that's a good team. Yeah, I, I, no? <laughs> yeah no, I, as I wrote today, and, the, you know, the, the two head coaches that I uh, interviewed for, for the East previews, they, I mean, I couldn't believe how scathing they were of Toronto's chances and, and of Toronto's uh, defensive game, which, listen, some of it's deserved, but I, I and listen, I, I picked Boston in seven, but I think it's going to be awfully close again. I, I think this is a toss-up of a series. I, I don't buy that the Leafs are going to get crushed here. I just don't buy it, and you know, I'm, I'm taking the Bruins because I think they're a more complete team, and they're and and they just, I mean, I just think they're they're an edge better. But I don't think it's going to be like some people are portraying it. And you know, at the end of the day, a year ago, that that's a series that went seven, and the Leafs didn't have John Tavares. You know, yeah. so 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 Bruce Cassidy had had a field day just being able to put Bergeron on Matthews all series long. Well, now he's got to pick his poison between Matthews and Tavares, and, and so that that's a legitimate game changer for Toronto. Now, at the end of the day, again, what these two coaches just don't like and what they see is is how the Leafs have defended, especially in the last two months of the season. And I mean, it, it is jarring. I mean, you know, you know, Saturday night, I know the Leafs didn't have all their all, you know, their A lineup, but you're going into a meaningless game against the Habs thinking, let's let's have a feel good defensive game and Freddie Anderson's a net so that you know we can go into the playoffs and they lose six five in a shootout. So I, I don't know. There's, they are definitely defensively. It's why I have Boston winning, but I do think offensively Toronto is going to give Tuukka Rask and the Bruins all kinds of fits. I mean, that's a series that's going to have lots of twists and plots, and going to be a lot of fun. How high is your Freddie Anderson concern level? Like that's. I mean, we talk. I don't know if it's always hard to tell, right? How much of it is the defense in front of them, and how much it's it's mm-hmm. a guy that you know doesn't seem to be playing with a ton of confidence. Yeah, and and he was just so good, Craig, in the first two thirds of the season. I mean, my gosh, I I I thought he'd be a Vesna nominee to be honest, right yeah. until about the first of March, and uh, you know his game did fade late in the season. Uh, you know they tried to mitigate how many games he played this year, which was smart, but uh, you know his game has faded. But again, I think it's part and parcel of what's happening in front of him. And um, yeah, no, it's it's a legit concern. I mean it. You know, it's it's the most cliche cliche thing alive to say, but nevertheless, it's that time of year. I mean, obviously, Anderson has to outdo Rask, 
And I think he can do that, to be honest. I mean, one of the forgotten stories of last year's seven-game series from these two teams, the two garage was horrible. But it didn't matter. They won anyway, right? And so that wasn't a big series for Tuukka Rask. But, you know, the Leafs melted down in Game 7, and no one remembers that part. Yeah. Craig, let me let me ask you. You saw Mike Babcock, you know, maybe at his best, but certainly saw him towards the end in, in Detroit. And when he made the move to Toronto, if you... If you, from afar, looking at this Leaf team, and there are three straight years, one and done, lots of discussion in Toronto about his relationship with Kyle Dubas, the GM, and even Mike Babcock sort of addressing it publicly, which was which was interesting, I thought. Um, are there red flags there, or is this just life in the NHL, right? Sometimes, you know, you got a really good team and you're a really good coach. Sometimes you don't win playoff rounds, or... Does it go beyond that if you are three times one and done and, you know, you're not Kyle Dubas's guy. He's, Kyle didn't hire Mike Babcock. Right, right. I, so so here's what we know about Mike Babcock. You know, players, he's not easy to play for. He's not easy to, to be on his staff. Like, he's a guy that's pushing people constantly and pushing them hard. And so if my red flag is if there is any rift, even a perceived rift, then if you're a player in that roster and you're sitting there going, boy, you know, if you know Mike Babcock's not going anywhere for the next five years, then you just, you're doing whatever he says. But now if you're like, boy, I don't know, you know, if, if there's this rift or whatever and you're not convinced he's going to be around and, and you're tired of hearing from him, then then you, I wonder how much you're digging in, right? So I don't know if they're at that point in Toronto, but, you know, I, you certainly saw saw it in Detroit where, you know, at the end, I, you know, Henrik Zetterberg made some comments. It was that it was time for both sides or whatever Henrik said. And, and so I, I just, you know, I think this is a big postseason for that whole situation. Gary, you're, you're there every day is how important is this series? Maybe even not whether they win or lose, but how this team performs and how they, how the how this series unfolds? How big is how big is this for Mike Babcock and and this team moving forward? Yeah, I think you just nailed it. There's an important nuance in what you just said. I I don't know that it's win or lose because they're playing an unbelievable Bruins team, but I think it's if they lose how it how it plays out. I mean, last year, as we know, it was you know do the kids hate the coach and and we know that Mike Babcock flew out to Arizona to have a special meeting. With Austin Matthews. Oh, I've already this, forgotten about that. That's yeah, great. All, all, all this soap opera stuff a year ago. You can't have any of that again. I mean, I mean, if 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 you go a hard seven and it's a flip of a coin and you know it's a good hard fought series against a team that I agree. By the way, I think the number one team in the East that could beat uh, um, Tampa is Boston in my mind. Although Washington's not too far behind. But if the Leafs, you know, leave it all in the ice and, and then then you're like, you know what? Hey, it, it stinks for them that they're that they haven't won a playoff series since 2004 and that streak continues. But if they go out in four or five and get completely overmatched, then that's going to set off a bit of a powder keg in this market here where I live. So the the manner in which they play will be as closely watched as the actual result of the series in my mind. Yeah. And when we were talking coaching, we didn't really, I don't know if we even mentioned Sheldon Keefe in, in, in all these openings, but mm-hmm. I think I think how that situation plays out or what kind of permission he's given or whatever, like maybe as much an indication of how things are as anything. Yeah. 
good point. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I personally think all the, I mean, I understand where it's coming from, but boy, you better, I mean, to me, my Babcock has earned at least another year given his pedigree, but hey, maybe, you know, people don't agree with that. Uh, all right, uh, two more series in the East, and then we will bring to a close this part of our conversation. Uh, Craig, Metropolitan matchups, you've got Washington that uh, finally emerged from the Merck and won the uh, Metropolitan Division. They draw the lovable jerks from uh, Carolina. You got Pittsburgh and uh, Barry Trotz and his New York Islanders, the number one defensive team in the NHL. Barry Trotz taking another run at the Pittsburgh Penguins. This will be what four years in a row. I guess he will have faced them. Um, you t- you pick one of these series, and, and and what do you like about it? Well, let's talk about the Capitals because I don't feel like anybody is talking about Washington. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever seen a reigning champ get so little either love or buzz or support? Um, going into a playoffs in Washington is like, that's, they had a good year. Like they've done everything you could have asked of them. And for sure, and they're essentially the same team that won it all last year. And the only concern we've ever had about Washington is, can they win the big game and do they know how to win and do they have what it takes? And all those storylines that we've been saying for a decade, that's all gone now. So all you have now is a super talented team that knows how to win and is probably, um, on some level miffed that nobody's talking about them. So I, I think like that's, you know, you can't call them a dark horse because they're the reigning Stanley cup champs, but I love that Washington team and, and wouldn't be surprised at all if they, if they come out of the East, like it's the same team as that won it all last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, And in fact, I think they're already back in the conference final in my mind. I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but I don't think there's anyone in their bracket right now that can beat them on their side. I, yeah. I, I think the greatest thing that ever happened is they avoided Columbus. I think Columbus was their biggest, would have been their biggest challenge. I think they're going to smoke Carolina. And listen, I love the hurricane story. And I know Scotty's going to yell at me, but but I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just, I think that's Washington and five. Uh, I don't think the winner of, uh, of Pittsburgh and the Islanders can beat Washington. So I, I have the Caps already in the Eastern final in my mind. And, mm. yeah. you know, if there's one thing that gave me pause and, and part of it was I was prepping and I worked the Washington Montreal game last Thursday night on TSN, it was really odd to see John Carlson play on the left side. And so they're trying to figure out life after Kentney there. And that's, you know, that's one little storyline to monitor going forward. But, but over, I, I think the Caps have had an unbelievable season as a Stanley Cup champion. No hangover. Um, they're deep. They're, they're hungry. They're, they got everything going for them. I, I, I cannot tell you how surprised I'd be if, if they didn't come out of the Metro. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, all the things that, you know, Evgeny Kuznetsov didn't have a great year, but, you know, they they rolled through that. I thought Todd Reardon has done a really nice job. You know, I remember at All-Star when we were in San Jose, I mean, team was I think they'd lost seven in a row or were winless in seven and Braden Holpe was terrible. And they looked like a team that had hit the wall, but uh, you know, Todd Reardon's done a nice job. They got back on track. Holpe has been really good. Uh, I'm with you, Pierre. And I mean, you know, Carolina's a great story and I'm not saying that, you know, that, that they couldn't give Washington trouble, but uh, I just think to Craig's point, this is a team that, you know, they got down two nothing against Columbus a year ago. And and really turned a corner. I, I don't think things are going to phase them like they did in the past. So, yeah, why not? And so well, let's transition then. So Pittsburgh, the Islanders, you know, I'm sorry. I, I just look at that Islander team. And I'm like, well, how, 
how are they going to keep, you know, how are they going to score? Is Robin Leonard or uh, Greece, is, are they really, is that really happening there? I mean, Barry Trotz has worked magic, but does the magic carry to the playoffs? I don't know, Craig, what do you, like, uh, do you, I know lots of people love the Islanders to beat Pittsburgh. I just think, I don't know. I don't see, I just don't see it happening, but. Well, I, I guess my question is, I don't know what to make of the Penguins this year, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have 87 and, you know, I, like, so you never want to bet against the Penguins as long as, as, as he's around. And, and so I picked him over the Islanders, but I just, you don't know if that's as strong a team as, as we've seen come out of Pittsburgh. And you saw some signs down the stretch. It's like, oh, okay, this is a team that knows how to play when it's important and, and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not willing to just hand that series over to the Penguins. I mean, the Islanders were good all year. They're, you know, they play a very the, the trots hockey. They, you know, they they've gotten the goaltending. That was the big question. Um, to me, it's it's the the X factor is the superstars, and and I, you know, basically, you don't ever want to bet against Sid. But I, I to me, the I think the Penguins are as much a question mark as the Islanders in my mind. Totally, totally, yeah. And you know, I wrote this today in the piece, but I. First of all, there's no series I have less feel for than this one yeah. of all, of all yeah. the eight first round uh, series. Um, and and as much you know, I understand what you're saying, Scotty. And, and listen, the Islanders are the lowest scoring team in the East to make the playoffs of the of the eight teams in the East that made the playoffs. But they're also the stingiest. And um, you know, I, I ended up picking Pittsburgh and holding my nose, and I did the same thing. I mean, after looking at all the stats and everything, I basically just did the 87 factor. Right. <laughs> Sometimes this is what you do, right? I know, I know. But but I tell you, I, I have I think the penguins are fading. And mm. listen, no shame in that. I mean, you want to talk about the preeminent franchise of the modern era and all their cups and everything. But I think they're fading. I, I don't think they have the same champ. Um I don't know, you know, Malkin hasn't played his best this year. Uh, I don't think they, they, they're that good defensively. Uh, Matt Murray has been much better in the second half. He's certainly worried a lot of people in the first half, but I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't feel like Pittsburgh has a run in them, but they're playing an Islanders team that had to overachieve on all kinds of levels just to get in. So it, it's like, it's, it, it's, it, it's a series pitting two teams that I can't see going very far, except one of them has to win. Basically, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's what it's the opposite when you have that, like a Vegas San Jose where you're like, this right. could be an Eastern conference final. This is like, this could be a series where we don't see either of these teams ever again, you know, like after <laughs> the first round. It's true, but I mean, I've already, I did my grid just assuming that Washington and Pittsburgh are going to play. So I, I got them matched up in the second round because that's what always happens, right? I mean, you just uh, <laughs> you got to pencil it in. So, all right, Craig, we are going to say goodbye to you and uh, Pierre, and I will chat with John Cooper of the Tampa Bay awesome. Lightning in a few moments. But Craig, awesome work! No overachievement from you. This is always top of the line stuff. So glad that you hit the bell again. So well, well done, and thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having me, guys. And the puppy kept quiet. That was the, yeah, the big account. The drill guy and the puppy kept it mostly quiet, which is that was good. That was good. Yeah. No, I think that bodes well for the playoffs. So. All right. Awesome. We'll Have talk a good to playoff, you soon. Guys. All right. We'll see. You. Yeah. All right. Here we go. As promised, back with the finale of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre LeBrun still in his house. Drills 
silent for the moment and joining us as promised john cooper head coach of the tampa bay lightning and john last time you and i saw each other was at that lavish ceremony following your 300th victory as an nhl head coach and that was in raleigh and actually wasn't lavish it was you and me and brian breesman <laughs> from your communication staff and a puck with some tape on it but uh, congratulations 300 victory and it came on your 500th game nice uh, sort of symmetry there yeah, it was definitely not lavish because I was I spent it with you and Breesman instead of my wife and kids, so it was a little different of my three hundredth win. But uh, no, in all seriousness, it was uh, it was my three hundred, but I actually had to celebrate it twice um, because the night before uh, we'd won and uh, and it'd been social media and everything came out that that was my three hundredth win, and and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, you don't really follow those kind of stats and so it was exciting uh it was exciting time and all those other things that that had gone on and then to turn out that it was not my 300th win as we found out the next morning and the boys had the boys had to rally around and uh and win another one for me uh was unreal because as you said it was my 500th game and then kind of those keep the numbers even to do 300 and 500 would have been awesome. And they, uh, they pulled through for me. So it was a really, uh, really exciting time. I want to know when John Cooper went from this young guy who took the league by storm to the longest tenured coach in the NHL. What's, what the heck's going on? Time flies, man. <laughs> it, uh, it certainly does. And it's, uh, you know, the always troubling thing about that is if that happens, that means, you know, some of your colleagues are, um, you know, changing jobs and stuff like that. And, you know, that's the one thing uh, you come into this league and you're just kind of, it was, uh, you know, we had that magical run in the American league. And when you do things like that, you win the Calder cup, all of a sudden, you know, your, your name becomes hot, but to tell you the truth, I wasn't ready for the league. And uh, I interviewed for a couple jobs that I did not get. Um, and, you know, it was later, well, at the very end of the next season that, uh, Steve brought me up to coach uh, in the NHL, and that's when I knew I was ready. I, w- I needed that extra year in the American League just to make sure that, you know, I was seeing the game right and things weren't new, things weren't hitting me, and, and eventually they weren't. And so I kind of knew I was ready, and I was glad to come up in our organization just because I knew the players. But as you said, uh, you know, I just I was kind of <laughs> wide-eyed and taking everything in and just trying to survive in the league, and and now all of a sudden I'm the guy that's been here the longest with his, with the same team. And uh, it's, it's, it's just surreal to me that that's the case. Cause I still feel like I'm one of the young guys I'm learning from, from some of the veteran coaches in the league that I still contact with, whether they're not in the league or, or they are. And, and uh, it's just been, it's been an unreal ride with uh, I've had so much fun. Uh, and I know there's so much more to do, but it's, uh, it's just the camaraderie of the guys, the league, I love being here and it's been a lot of fun. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting. You should you talk about your colleagues in the coaching fraternity, and obviously, it's been a, a busy couple of days since uh, the end of the regular season, and and we're going to get to the Tampa Bay Lightning and and their season in the playoffs. But lots of news, including in your state, you are now sharing the Florida coaching fraternity with uh, a guy you know very well and and certainly a, a one-day Hall of Famer and Joel Quenville who just took the job as a Florida Panthers head coach and of course 
you know Joel from having coached against him in the Stanley Cup final in 2015 and, and within that fraternity. And I wonder, what did you have some contact with Joel after he decided to come to Florida and, and maybe describe that coaching fraternity and, and how closely you pay attention to, you know, what's happening as, as coaches come in and out of jobs and, and the, what that dynamic is like for you? Well, first of all, Joel better understand where the situation. He's the newbie in the league now. When when he's been with me, I'm the vet. I'm the guy that's been around the long, <laughs> long team. No, I texted him uh, early this morning when kind of rumors were coming around. And it was funny. I talked to Q just a couple days earlier, where I was just kind of asking some things about you know his teams and his runs, and um, he's become a close friend of mine um, throughout the years. And and it's um, he's just a wealth of knowledge and, and somebody I've leaned on um, in, in my coaching career and, and to have them, uh, you know, it's, it, it's things like this, you know, it just keeps you on your toes, keeps elevating your game that, you know, Q is going to be coaching a team right down the, uh, down the road from us. And, uh, but I'm really happy for him. Uh, I, I don't know what his contract length or how much money he received. I just know that, the money will go a little, a lot farther in the tax bracket we're in than it probably was in, uh, in Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that right. That seems to be a popular thing with players uh, on both teams in your state, uh, John. And uh, well, let's talk about your your team and the 62 wins. And uh, uh, I was talking to a couple of coaches over the weekend, and and just you know everyone marveling at your season, especially when it felt like the last five weeks. You had so little to play for, and yet, and that your guys kept grinding it out. Is that? Are you proud? Proud of that? That that you know, no one took their foot off the gas, and you head into the playoffs, and you know, feeling good about your team. Well, to, to look back now, as I said to the guys, I, and, and I think you and I may have spoke to this a couple of weeks ago. If you were to walk into our locker room, or Porter walked in the room and said, "Hey, you know, you're that only you're approaching sixty wins, and only." two other teams have done this in the history of the league. I, 95% of our players wouldn't even have known that. It, it, it was, there was kind of this attitude, the guys, okay, who's up next? Who's up next? Who's our next opponent? And how we we're just trying to refine our game. And you know, as a coaching staff, you're kind of caught a little bit in between, okay, you know, you want to win every single game, but you want your team playing the right way. And you want to make sure that you're, you're staying healthy. You know, you're managing the minutes. Um, and, and different things went on. Even our last game of the year, you know, we had to sit a few guys, but guys got hurt, guys got sick. So, you know, kind of forced, you know, Ryan McDonough wasn't supposed to play in that game. And he's now forced in the lineup because one of the players got hurt, one got really ill. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're killing penalties, but none of your regular penalty killers are, are out there. And, you know, as Boston did the same thing. They were, um, you know, they sat a, a bunch of their um, big names as well. But you're... To go through this time, we did not play our, our perfect hockey by any means, but we were thrust into some games where the opponent forced it out of us. And we had Washington three times in our last 11 games. We had the Leafs. We had Boston. We had Carolina that was pushing for a playoff spot. Um, you know, Montreal pushing for a playoff spot. So that pulled our team into the fight. But the other thing is we got a proud team. And they didn't want to be looked at as this group that, okay, we did all this winning, then all of a sudden mailed it in at the end. Everybody was, they wanted to keep going forward. And, and that's what's made this group great. And the, 
you know, we got to 60 wins. It was really gratifying to hit that number of 60, but to get to 62, um, I, I can't even say, oh, were you upset we didn't get the 63? To, to be honest, I'm not. To be in the breath of, of that Detroit Red Wings team and the Montreal Canadiens team in the 70s is is remarkable. And I would have felt probably a little bit guilty because they didn't play with overtimes and we did. And so for us to break the record, I think would have been probably a little bit unjust. I'm perfectly content sitting on the 62 with an, and, and sharing that with another team because, in all honesty, they had a little harder than us, but it's amazing. I, you know, one of the cool things for me was after this happened, I got a text from uh, Scotty Bowman and, and, you know, for him to reach out and congratulate myself, another person, you know, you've kind of idolized growing up as a coach and, and for him to reach out and, and, and kind of share that, I guess, you know, record season that he also coached as well. Um, I don't know. It's pretty cool for me. John, when when you talk about you know having communication with Joel Quenville, uh, obviously before he took the job in Florida, or or even a guy like Scotty Bowman or or other coaches, are, are you are you looking for uh, clues or suggestions on how you take a team that has been so dominant in the regular season and transition that into the postseason? Are you gathering more information? as you prepare for the first round against Columbus, uh, I wonder what that process is like because it, 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 we are about to go through a door into a completely different hockey season. And I wonder if it's the preparation for you is different this year than last year when you went in against New Jersey. Every year is different. And the only similarity to it is, is that you're playing playoff hockey. But to be honest, it's, um, your team's different. The dynamics different. The I can't even express. It's just the vibes different. That that uh, usually the player personnel is different, um, and obviously, and for the most part, usually your opponent's different. For me, this is it's how you get to the playoffs. We've done it all different ways. We've grinded our way in. We've gotten in early. Um, we've won divisions. We've come second. We've come third. So uh, we started with home ice. We haven't, and, and all those things come into play. But you know, for me, in, it's, I, I think if you're not gathering information, if you're not trying to learn, then you're going to be a step behind. And so I'm always trying to figure out new ways or at least get information that maybe something that you've already, you're already doing. So you're doing the right thing, but it's validation on it. And, you know, to talk to guys like you that have been in these situations uh, before um, and, 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 and learn from it and, and try and put your team in the best situation and set them up for success. Uh, whether, and, and some, some of the information you may say, ah, you know what, I, that doesn't really fit our team, but at least you've got that information. And, and then the other thing is, you know, dealing with Columbus, the, the, the coaching staff we've assembled here has been uh, simply outstanding. And so not much is going to change there as, you know, they've really prepped our team really well and, and our game plans and stuff like that. And so all the roles are going to stay the same as they have in the regular season to uh, the postseason. We, you know, it's a little bit more in-depth because you're just focusing on one opponent, opponent. But, you know, I like to grab, grab all this information and then weed out what we need to use. And that's uh, what I continue to do. And last question for me, uh, uh, John. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, Anton Strawman said something to me last week while you guys were passing through Toronto, and it really it's something I filed away. And, and he talked about, you know, how the memory of the 2015 Cup Final is still fresh for him, and in particular, 
and we were talking about the growth of your team and your group and and he said the thing he remembers is is how much more composed that veteran Hawks team was in that final than the way his team reacted as that series played out and went on and he goes he hopes that all those you know lessons learned since then and you guys have had a lot of deep runs that, that that's a major difference that this group has been kicking at the can knocking at the door and and should have that composure now when when things get hairy and things will get hairy it's a close league and but to know how to deal with adversity i mean is, is that is that something you share as well there, well there's there's no doubt there's there was some of those things especially the chicago series i thought we had a chance um to win that series early you look back at those games you could we could have had that series potentially in five um mm-hmm. you know we, we we lost the game late in game one um game three or game four we were right back in the door we missed open nets and and just unbelievable chances we had that didn't go in the net and and then we just had some kind of you know <laughs> we just screwed things up in uh such tight games you know we gave you know patrick Sharp. we basically gave them their that goal when uh, bish and Hetty ran into each other and just you know some un- unfortunate events trickled down and, and cost the series and then Chicago really buckled down when they when they smelted and and, and closed us out, um, and so you've got to learn from that. And and we were kind of that newbie team coming in, and that was kind of our we kicked the door open and said, okay, well we've this this team's arrived and we we want to be here for the next few years. And I got to give our guys credit. I, you know, the one year we did miss the playoffs, but to be able to win multiple rounds and go to game sevens and 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 do what we've done. Not too many teams have done. Unfortunately, we we uh, we haven't won the big prize, and so you get looked at that says, "Well, Tampa has to do it now." Where you know, I'm one of these that said, hey, "We're knocking at the door every year." That's more than a lot of teams have done. You know, like some are up, some are down, and so I feel good about this group. But at some point, we do have to crash through that door. And I think through all these experiences. It can do nothing but help us. But even saying that, you do need a little luck. Coach Grenville told me one time, he goes, we won three cups, and we had a lot of luck, and all three of those winning them could have gone either way. And you need that. You need to stay healthy. And when you've got those two things on your side with a little bit of talent, you, got, I, you know, you kind of like your chances. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, John Cooper, you uh, have uh – done yeoman service in joining us today so uh, i know you've had your you've had uh, lots of athletic contact recently so it's good to, we don't want to overdo it so we'll we'll uh, bid you farewell and, and good luck as the playoffs begin but thanks for coming and hanging out all right thanks and i'll expect that uh, seven dollars and fifty cent gift card to uh, the sponsor of your choice in the mail <laughs> consider it done actually pierre will be able to hand deliver it i think he's coming to tampa I'm on a flight tomorrow to Tampa. I, I was going to surprise uh, the coach, but uh, the cat's out of the bag now. Yeah. All right. Thanks All right, for coming John. on, John. Thanks. thanks for having me. See ya. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. Great. Oh, yeah, uh, Brandon, we'll we'll just tape a little, just a tail, then, if that's all right. Yep. We can definitely do that. Okay. Uh, so let's do that in three, two, one. All right. Well, I'm jealous of you, my friend. You're off to Tampa, and uh, don't forget the John Cooper's gift card when you get there. But uh, it's uh, yeah, I, I'm so excited for this, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Bolts uh, respond uh, starting off. And actually, 
Pierre, since you, this tells you how fluid things are, since we began taping this podcast, so news out that uh, we were talking about the coaching carousel that the Buffalo Sabres now expressing serious interest in Todd McClellan. So you, you just never, you never know how quickly things are going to change in the NHL. And certainly now with the coaching uh, carousel in full uh, speed, uh, it, it it is an interesting time, that's for sure. What do you make of the, the, the Todd McClellan possible connection with the Buffalo Sabres? Yeah, really fascinating. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, our own uh, athletic uh, senior colleague, Eric Dahachek, with uh, you know the first tweet reporting uh, you know the, the Buffalo bid on, on McClellan. And it's funny because before that report came out, uh, and when we first taped some of this podcast earlier today, I, I mentioned that, and I'm not trying to be, but that while we know the Kings had serious interest in McClellan, that, that McClellan certainly had other options. It'd be interesting to see how he reacted to that. And, and here we go. So now my understanding is, and I subsequently put the suite out this afternoon as well, that the Kings remain in the mix for McClellan. Um, but uh, I think as my TSN colleague Bob McKenzie said, I mean, McClellan is the front runner uh, in Buffalo and so, you know, Eric Dahachik was saying he thinks there's a real good chance this deal could get done over the next few days. What I can tell you for sure is that the Sabres were planning on sitting down face-to-face with Tom McClellan uh, over the next few days uh, this week. So, it, you know, it's good to be Tom McClellan. I mean, I mean, you, you know, the L.A. thing's been out there a while uh, that they would be interested in, and there's a great relationship there between Rob Blake and Tom McClellan. But Buffalo is, you know, has got a younger core. I think that's fair to say. So something probably for McCullen to, to think about as he makes his decision. Um, so uh, fascinating times as the uh, coaching carousel keeps spinning here. No kidding. All right. All right, my friend. Well, travel safely to Tampa. Um, uh, I expect you may get a shuffleboard game in or two. So good luck with that. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll do this again next week. By the time you and I chat again on the next episode, we will be knee deep in the first round. So I can't wait and uh, look forward to catching up next time. Yeah, we'll have a probably a favorite or two uh, in the weeds. It'll be uh, it'll be juicy. Can't wait. All right, man. <laughs> All right, man. Take care.